Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Anne-Marie Burbage, who you may remember from her appearance on previous episodes discussing L&D careers and the pivot to performance. But I've invited Anne-Marie back because I believe she's a member of an elite group of L&D pioneers adopting a product approach to people development and achieving a huge amount more as a result. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Anne-Marie, welcome back to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you very much. Um, whilst we've chatted on this podcast before with uh, Lexi Hockaday about starting a career in L&D and on the Pivots Performance Series with Guy Wallace, I wanted to invite you back to talk about your product approach to L&D. But before we get into the nitty gritty, could you explain to us what a product approach to L&D is? Yeah, so I will. I'll absolutely caveat this with I am I have no product background. I'm not a product expert. Um, you know, I've worked in HR and learning and development, so there'll be kind of purists out there. But for me, it was very much about finding my flavour mm. um, of this. But so product to me, I think I detangle a couple of things here. So, of course, you hear product talked about in the context of agile, mm-hmm. um, other mindsets I hold around um, kind of resources led, um, being solution agnostic, um, having that performance focus. Those things all stand. But particularly for me, the product um, side of things is a way of working. So it is a way of, um, it's kind of a a real process, a real structure around taking kind of potential work that comes into a learning and development team and seeing it through from initial kind of request or input or whatever comes in um, through a, a series of kind of actions to a point where you've got some sort of outcome at the end or not, because that's the mm. other thing with product. You might decide that there's not enough value or impact to be had, mm. in which case it never makes it to the top of your to-do list. So that's that's for me kind of the, the product way of working is a mindset around how you do what you do. Mm. Um, but it might still result, you know, the output might still be some sort of training or a resource that drives the, the kind of shift in performance that you're looking for. Brilliant. And uh, I'm sure that uh, what you've just said there is going to scare a few listeners, especially the part where <laughs> you might determine that there's there's nothing to actually work on. But but we'll come back to to the how a little later on with with some uh, some live examples. Um, but I, I would like to know, Emery, what your inspiration was for uh, exploring and then introducing uh, a product approach in your L&D practice. Yeah, so I think it's quite a natural space for me. It's quite um probably it's how I think and how I work I'm not I'm not a perfectionist necessarily you know I've always got that eye on how do I help people the most and that doesn't have to look like a slickly produced bit of something um but the inspiration for me it's I know you know when I've been thinking about this it came from the business around me so I I think I was kind of working in in some respects in this kind of way but wasn't calling it product um I was very much keen on you know how prioritizing and um kind of user research and understanding what people are trying to do understand the audience really solving their problems or mm. business problems um but i remember being in a call and it was with um some people in tech and I'd, i think i'd asked them for something support with something and they came back to me and said what's the use case for that and i went oh, oh 
uh, Google's use case. Um, you know, and that's the point at which I, I, I kind of looked and started disappearing down a little bit of a um, research hole around mm. product and agile. And um, because this is what the business around me was doing, it's how they were working. So it was really normal language. So tech marketing, they're thinking about consumer or customer product. Mm. Um, so this this kind of language around iteration and sprints and sprint mapping and backlogs and use cases. This was just language that was around me. So I, you know, I, I was kind of playing catch up really mm. with the, you know, what the business was doing. So that was my first in. That was my inspiration. And then started exploring more what that looked like and how I could implement it within my kind of zone of control, really. And and uh, a question that the listener may be asking then is, are we talking about a product approach that lends itself more to a digital solution or a uh, an in-person solution, or it doesn't really matter? And the, the reason I ask that is that in my own experience, product makes a lot of sense if you are if you're intent on making digital really work in learning and development and the way and what i mean there is that if you lead with digital solutions that um that you know um or you you test that make a, a demonstrable difference then the only way to get sustained engagement and to affect actually affect performance is to solve real problems you can't you know i've been in this game too long now um to know that uh, that a shiny new system filled full of content will make next to no difference to your organization. Even if you 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 uh, meet that the, the false nirvana of the self-directed learner who spend who cuts up a, a good proportion of their week to go and look at your generic content, you know that does not make any difference to not meaningful difference to to your organization. Uh, and um, uh, and also spoiler alert you don't get sustained engagement either because people no. know that it it doesn't actually affect their work so they so they don't they don't get involved so going back to the initial question does it lend itself more to a digital approach in the way that i've described or does it not really matter for me it doesn't really matter so mm. i th- you know i think maybe it lends itself to that blended approach in a way that maybe other ways don't um, because essentially you're starting out at the beginning doing all the research and you're really getting to know your user and the problem and the thing you're trying to do. You should not at that point, you might have a gut feel or your experience might tell you the kind of thing you might need to be doing, but you you have not ruled anything in or out at that stage. So everything is in play because we're looking to understand what the problem is, understanding who's experiencing it, mm. what they're trying to do, and what's the point at which we can come up with some sort of product or service that just helps them whilst they're in the flow of what it is they're trying to do? So that, that might well be more digital, but certainly in my mind, when I'm looking at this, I don't know what the thing, the deliverable is going to be yet. Mm. So product, it, it works either way. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, on a previous episode, one of the early episodes actually spoke with uh, with Tracy Waters at Sky, who spoke of a product approach. And this was uh, this was going back um, 2019. Uh, I think we had the conversation and she'd said that uh, in the context of management development, they'd um, stopped running training courses and they they didn't use e-learning at all. They were mm-hmm. using resources that were mm-hmm. aimed at affecting 
uh, the work itself and being as close to the point of need as is actually possible and running regular mm -hmm. workshops so that people could have conversations around the pressing issues and the things that uh, that, that they were saying that they um, uh, they couldn't do easily or uh, or effectively um but but going back to, uh, to to your journey here, you said you started working with the tech team or you were inspired by the tech team. So how did you get started? How did you th take that from their language to, um, and, uh, and an issue that, that they wanted you to work on to this as an approach to, uh, to L&D? Mm. Um, so I'd already started um, working with the team. I'd already, and I've done this before in, mm. in most roles, really, which is why I kind of say I think this is a, it's something that I do kind of get. Um, I had already started doing things like customer mapping, mm. um, employee lifecycle, understanding that. So really understanding, um, you, you know, kind of the journey that people are on. So, of course, there's nuances for everybody in every every journey, every career. But there's certain things that every employee will do. Everybody joins the organization at some point and you need mm. to kind of get them in on board them, but also take the opportunity there to listen and to, to kind of hear from them and, and learn new starters you know everybody kind of well most people will, will off board I guess at some point but then there's things like maybe promotion into people management roles um things like that so really I'd already started to kind of map that employee life cycle really understand um who our audiences were so new starters um people managers um people in chunky bits of an organization so if you've got a high volume of maybe a sales organization or, or something like that so I'd already started to map that out, was really paying attention to what the business was doing from a, um, you know, what are the business goals? What mm. are we really trying to drive at that, at that organization-wide level? And then kind of tuning into what teams were doing around how they were delivering on that. So what mm. their strategy was for how they were going to deliver this, um, these kind of business deliverables, really kind of understanding um, how, the organization like makes money or whatever mm. whatever your kind of deliverable is as a business how does that happen and where's that and how do different teams and an organization uh, uh, different parts of the organization work together who's dependent on who for what and when and what does that all look like so just really understanding i guess the matrix that mm. is an organization and its purpose and what we're trying to do so i'd already started to do that and then um then kind of started doing a little bit of research so I, and at this point hadn't done any formal kind of training this was just me reading I'd started kicking the idea about a more of a, um, a structured product approach in the team mm. a couple of people were like mm, but of course you've got some early adopters yep <laughs> so then there's other people that were starting to do some research and thought we're on to a bit of something here and we started with a product that was within our control so onboarding was something that we were responsible for and so we started there so we kind of really started, um, again, mapping um, kind of users, speaking to users, loads of just essentially like research, like market research. What's it like being a new starter here? Mm. What do you what questions have you got? What do you want to know? What do you wish you had that you didn't have? What did you get that you um, you didn't need when you got it? And those sorts of things. And yeah. just really the insight is there. The insight is if you know who your audience is. And then you speak to them. Oh gosh, it's so rich. The, mm. you're, you're mining gold, really, in terms of information. And then we started breaking that down. So okay, so an onboarding. These are all the questions that new starters have. Um, let's get them all in a list. And this is where, for me, the concept of like a backlog starts to come in. This is all the work we could do. 
Okay, but then you need a way of refining that and prioritizing it and understanding and that concept of impact versus effort then starts to come into how many people are saying this thing, mm. you know, so how prominent is this as a problem and how easy is it for us to solve? So that kind of was where we went next with then, you know, once you've got all the options there for the things that you could do, then starting to sift through, because once you are aware of what the business is trying to do, what the audience for the thing that you're working on is trying to do and you've got then this whole bucket of options of things that you could do mm. very quickly the obvious things start to float to the surface and um, you know if you're looking at kind of making those um, links between these things so then you know very quickly it, it's not you know particularly around onboarding it was just people needed to know um how to log in yeah. So before you're even worrying about kind of all singing, all dancing experiences, people just want to know what's the tech we use? Mm -hmm. How do I get in? How do I get logged in? Because one of the first things you're going to do, particularly if it's a hybrid workforce, you're going to be expected to meet people virtually. Mm -hmm. You need to know what tool you're using for that. You know, that's, you know, those are the, those are the things that are most on people's mind. Mm. Or like, what's the cult? Like, what's it like? What do I wear? That's right. It's my, it's my first day. I've kind of had my interview, but when I turn up, what do I wear? And what will I eat mm. on my first day? Is there somewhere to get food, or will there be a break? You know what? You know, of course, this is different whether it's um, remote or in person. But these are the things that are on people's mind. These are the questions people have got even before they start the job. Never mm. mind once they're in. And so, you know, it's about allaying you know, particularly on boarding, it was about allaying uh, fears or concerns or worries, giving people answers to the question at the point they had the question. Mm. Um, and that's kind of, so then, you know, by understanding the audience, by building some kind of evidence and data that pointed us to the, the, the direction of what it was that people needed, and then starting to build, again, this is, you know, one of the real spirits for me of product is iterative. Mm. So you don't disappear, you don't do this piece of research, then disappear underground for six months and then come up and go, ta-da, here mm. is our new onboarding program. It's like, right, we know that a question people have before they start is what do I wear? So this, we're in this pre-boarding space. What do I wear? Um, do I need to take milk to have a cup mm. of tea? And um, we'll answer that one question. And get that, release that value early, release that incrementally. So, you know, no one's waiting for the answer to that question mm -hmm. until you've answered all the questions. That's if you right. get the answer to that question now, why not? And that's an easy fix. And so, again, that's not a training course. That's not a training course on what to wear on your first day of work. Mm -hmm. That's like like that's an, an email to somebody the week before they start with, you know, we know that starting a new job, you're likely to have some questions. These are what we hear are the frequently asked questions mm. with some answers. Boom. That, and that's it. And then, of course, you iterate that as you go. So as you get more questions or different questions, so then, of course, more people are working remotely rather than in person. The, the context of those Q&As might change. But the mm. point is, what's someone trying to do? What's on their mind? What's stopping them from showing up, performing at their best and doing their best work? Well, it's getting an answer to that question. Well, here's mm. the answer to the question. Job done. And what we're talking about here is that, uh, the, of course, everybody listening to this is going to re recognize that as onboarding. OK, yeah, I get yeah. that. You've got new people starting. They need to know stuff. OK, I, I get that. But what you're talking here with a product approach uh, rather than, uh, I'd say, a traditional or established approach to onboarding, 
Right, but let's tackle that first of all. The established approach to onboarding is we need you to know this. And we've yeah. been around every department and they've told you, you need to know this as soon as you get here. So that is an hour, two hours, half a day, full day, whatever it mm-hmm. is of slides or content with as much information as has been determined by other people that you need to know. But as a product manager, what you've recognized is that, that first of all, that there is value in addressing onboarding. What is the value that, that you're seeking to, to address here? Uh, determining from an organizational perspective, what's the risk we encounter from not addressing this in the right way? And from a new, new starter perspective, what is it that you need in order to achieve your goals, like get up and running, uh, address some of that anxiety that uh, that you've been mentioning there, and be ready to perform with, not, with uh, enough of the stuff out of the way that's going to uh, limit that as possible. And then working to address the needs that have been determined by recent new starters uh, as they uh, seek to assimilate into the organization and get the right stuff done. Um, am I am I on the right lines there by, um, by, by summarizing that? Yeah, you are. And, you know, look, for me, I think a lot of performance support, a lot of mm. development, a lot of challenge or um, uh, kind of risk or things mm. that bump in, people bump into happens at transition points. Yeah. So when you're new into an organization, when you're starting in a new role, where there's change in the business, where you're promoted, where um, something's different in the team, you know, that's the point at which um, quite often people are bumping into the most obvious challenges. And, you know, that's where when you're doing this kind of customer mapping, the, the you know, the, the building your evidence, and really building your understanding of the, the core things that are going on across the organization almost consistently. Yeah, this this is this is really important stuff and a, a, a valuable valuable point at which to be there understanding what are the performance blockers. Mm. Yeah, so on you know onboarding is an obvious one, but you know again, product is about really having that evidence and that user insight. So it's user centric. Mm. It's kind of data and evidence based. So it's not you know you've got to do away with any assumptions that we've got in L and D. You know, I think the other thing with onboarding is that once you start canvassing opinion from the rest of the organization everyone wants to be in on onboarding because they all want to say well they need to hear about my bit too that's Mm. great and they can and let's not look at onboarding as all day one yeah you know again looking at the whole end-to-end experience it's you know what is it it 90 100 days Mm -hmm. you know so i think you know solving you know again product ways of working will hone you in and focus you on the most um, kind of impactful points are so the most challenging points for people. So the, the real points of transition or shift or change where where their stakes are a little bit higher. Mm. And therefore the product you're delivering is of most value. Mm. And even if it's a little bit um, rough and ready, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's about kind of being there with something that you feel is going to solve the problem. And then the next thing is, of course, it's getting feedback, iterating, so checking back in. So look, we've identified this as a big problem because lots of people have said it or there's some data that tells us that this is a problem. I don't know. So for example, um, it's a point in our journey where a lot of people leave or it's just something that people get wrong a lot or it's something that our customers complain a lot about. You know, whatever it is, it's something that causes us a problem. Um, you go in with this concept of a minimum viable product or a minimum, mm. minimum valuable products. So what's something that we could do quickly, easy, to, that we think will help solve the problem 
Mm-hmm. And of course, the other bit this hinges on is really understanding what the problem is. You've got to understand what good looks like. You've got to understand what people are trying to do. You've got to understand how people would describe high performance in this area. Mm-hmm. So what is the thing, the, the minimum thing we could do to test if we're onto something? Mm-hmm. So again, rather than spending ages building out a something that may or may not work, get something in there quick. Yeah. And then, then you've got more data to go off that helps you hone and refine and hone and refine and iterate. Or you might not. Mm. That one kind of quick and dirty um, solution might solve the problem, in which case why why polish it up and slicken it up and do all of these things when actually the version that you've got there is good enough and you Mm. can move on to solving other problems? You've hit on on, um, two elements, I think, that are absolutely critical. There's the... um, uh, recognizing what the priorities are and then determining which of those priorities you should be working on first and the back so the backlog and then yeah. um addressing the actual performance issues that are getting in the way of of high performance uh, and what actually affects the individual let's start with the uh, the, the backlog because i've long mm-hmm. been an advocate of a backlog rather than a training needs analysis in yeah. the olden days uh when l d was in black and white and called training and development um mm-hmm. Uh, we used to do training these analysis and it was a resource allocation exercise because um, training was expensive. It was time consuming. Uh, it uh, took uh, an enormous amount uh, of, of time to even get ideas off the ground. And, and as you suggested, it can take you know months, if not years to, to develop training programs. So it was validation for approaches to training. But those days have moved on and we can't spend that amount of time and money on the training solutions. Uh, one, we never knew whether they worked or not. Um, and even after they were delivered, we didn't know whether they worked or not, uh, which is a different conversation altogether. No, we're still uh, trying but, to work that out, hey? <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but, but, but also with a, with a backlog approach, you're prioritizing uh, business issues or organizational issues based on the value that you create to solve real problems to either uh, unblock reasons that, that high performance isn't happening or to empower and enable people to enable high performance uh, or required performance to even make it um, as um, uh, perhaps ambitious as, uh, as, as high performance. If you want to know how to make collaborative learning work in your organization and demonstrate real results, then check out my new masterclass video series. There you'll understand how to achieve sustained engagement in your learning tech in a way that leads to improved performance. We'll also explore many of the objections L&D face when introducing something new. Based on decades of experience I have of making L&D really work inside organizations. You'll find my masterclass series on the 360 Learning blog and you'll also find a link in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. The, the, the backlog, could you talk us through that and uh, how you would run that in a learning and development sense? Yeah, so um, I guess another aspect of product in the way that I've worked with it is this cadence of um, kind of how work comes in and then and then kind of meet conversations that help um, structure this. So um, work obviously kind of comes or potential work comes into learning and development in a, in a number of ways and I think historically we might it might have been whoever shouted the loudest mm-hmm. or whatever's on that you know that list of stuff that L&D does you know so it's definitely onboarding it's leadership development it's these things and um, so I think you know th- there's this way that work kind of comes in but until you can see the whole thing in its 
sort of entirety. And then you can start to make links between what seemingly are not connected, mm. but they are. And I think this is the role of um, more of that kind of product manager or product owner, making links between problems that you're seeing. So instead of coming at it from the, this is the solution or this is the thing we need to design and develop, it's, well, let's look at what the problems are that people are experiencing. Mm. And then what can we do that solves maybe multiple problems? Or it, so, you know, it's about raising your awareness, I think, of the, the whole opportunity in front of you, the, the scale of the work that could be done. And then can you tackle, kind of, can you get a few birds with one stone? Mm. Um, so for me, you know, for me, that backlog is, um, this is all the stuff that's coming in. And then, you know, what you can, again, you quite quickly see when you've got it all laid out in front of you. Actually, that person's really jumping up and down about this. And we might ordinarily have gone there. But when you look at the evidence for this, it, it affects 10 people in one team. And, and there is not someone's asking loudly, but there's no real business impact yeah. towards delivering this thing. Conversely, you've got actually two or three things over here that have come, come in in slightly different ways. But actually, they're all pointing to one piece that is maybe it could be something like communication. Mm. Um, and and so it, it's the you know the gap is around um, maybe expectation setting or um, not sharing knowledge in the way that um, or not sharing kind of information in a way that's helpful to people. Mm. And so you know what what that backlog does is gives real clarity around what ultimately you could do, and then having these conversations. You know, so you have kind of like quarterly planning sessions. So really, that's at a point at which you're kind of looking at those. Well, there's an annual planning session. So what do we think this year is going to be high priority for us? And then kind of quarterly checking in on that, and then weekly or well, fortnightly checking in on that. And that's when you kind of start working in maybe more sprints. So you're really focusing for a period of time on a something. So you're you know instead of being split between loads of different projects and you're doing a bit here, there, and everywhere. If we know that this thing's really important, we've determined based on the kind of um, effort versus impact model that this is um, where we can really achieve high impact and we can um, we can add real value and solve real problems. Once you've um, once you kind of identified that, you then you then put all of your effort quickly into solving this one thing. So mm. you, I don't know whether you call it kind of swarming or time boxing or sprinting, but essentially you're, you're, you've teased out the thing that is based on the evidence and the data and the user research and the insight and the business challenges, blah, 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 what we're trying to do. This is the thing that we have determined gets our attention first. Mm. And we go there and we focus on that and we drive that hard. And then we, we kind of work out what done is Mm -hmm. for this and then we kind of test it get feedback on it see if it makes a difference and then incrementally keep going around that loop where we are again getting more data is it working iterate it get some more data is it working iterate it some more mm -hmm. and i think you know the backlog is just this this view of everything that's potentially in play but um and things jostle around, right? So it's a really mm. dynamic live list. It's not a scroll of everything and anything that you could possibly tackle. It is a really dynamic live list of stuff. You know, so for example, heading into a global pandemic, you might not have had um, remote kind of one-to-ones for leaders, mm. even on your backlog. <laughs> you know, if it was an organization that didn't work remotely, and then all of a sudden this thing comes in and, you know, we've we've all gone remote and 
managers don't know how to have these conversations like that whoosh that goes straight to the top because yeah. we need to tackle that right now because that right now is a mega problem for us and mm. um, of course then you've got to say no to some stuff so this is hard look this is yeah. this is tricky stuff because you know prioritizing is an exercise in saying yes to some things and no to others right but am i saying yes to the right things and am i saying no to the right things and the only way you'll know that is by having a grip on what's important to organizations teams individuals what's getting in the way and then being able to somehow measure that or get insight and data on it to see if you're really turning the wheel or mm. um something i read recently was something like um turning the wheels without moving or right you know, yeah there's no point in turning the wheels if you're not going anywhere no and uh, what you were describing there about uh, you know a, a noisy stakeholder who says I I need this training. Look, Emery, I've been here. I'm sure the listener's been here where you've got a CFO who says, right, we need email training for the entire company because I'm sick of receiving emails like this. And you go, okay. And then all of a sudden, you're you've created this one or two hour training thing that you get people in. They don't want to be there. It doesn't. It's not appropriate to them. It's not hitting the mark. It makes no difference because you're just delivering stuff where, you know, we will go back to uh, to, um, to something you said at the beginning uh, um, in, a, in a second. Sometimes you're going to say no to stuff because it doesn't actually apply. It's <laughs> not your involvement isn't going to drive sign- like enough value to, to um, uh, validate a contribution from you and your team. I mean, how does that come about? What, what's, what's the process of determining whether it is or isn't something to, to, to work on? Yeah, and look, I won't pretend there aren't times when you know, <laughs> know there's, there's certain people you you, you know you just it's go, hard yep. to ignore, and no, you go, right. God, you know what? Um, and I think that there's something in there around the maturity level that you're at with this. Mm. I think if it's quite early stages, probably the the person to tackle um, to kind of win them over, and or it might not be your CFO about this email thing, and it might be just be look, let's just put something out there. Um, however, oh gosh, that would keep me awake at night because mm. when you know that it's not the real problem. Yeah. And actually, I, in my experience, I have, you know, and I, I've said, I know in conversations we've had, I've said this before. I think people say we need the L&D team to deliver some training because that's all they know. That's so right. The CFO goes, someone's not doing this thing that I would like them to do or they're doing something that I don't want them to do. The assumption is that the person needs training in how to do it right. I would say the first thing we, to always go to is, well, have we ever set the expectation about what good looks like? Do people know what good looks like? Because most people are well-intended. They're not. They're sending you this email because they think you want it, not because they're trying to irritate you. Yeah. That's not their mission in life. And so I think it's, it's about just, I guess, being a little bit gutsy and tackling that conversation. Going, look, I hear you. I, I, I hear you getting these emails. I don't think it's a capability issue. So, for example, it's like there, I'm getting an email that I don't want. Um, okay, well, do people know how to not send you that email? Mm. Well, yeah, of course they do. Okay, okay, so it's probably not training them. We don't need to train them how to not send you the email. We just mm. need to let them know what they should be doing instead and give them the feedback and set the expectation. That might be enough. Now, Mr. CFO or Mrs. CFO, um, here's the cost implication to rolling out the training. So it's going to take X amount of time from my team. It's going to take X amount of time from people um, watching it, reading it, taking part in this two-hour workshop or not not sending emails. Um, and, you know, trying to get some quantifiable 
evidence around that. And mm. I just, just don't take things at face value. I think I get, you know, that product approach is taking it in. And before we say it's a go or a no go, we're going to do some research first. I need yeah. some evidence. I need some data. But that can be done in a friendly way. It, it yeah. doesn't have to be, it's a hard no until you prove to me that it's worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could be, um, you know, it's a, it, okay, thank you. Got it. You don't, let's, you, you know, you're not, let's get it out of our heads that when people mm. come to us with this, that they are asking and therefore expect. And the only mm. acceptable answer is here's a piece of training. They're not, they're coming to us with a problem. In this case, the problem is an email I don't want. Mm. Right, let's start there. I, I think it could be our own worst enemy here in, in yeah. terms of, the assumption that we hold that the expectation that everybody else has got of us is that we'll deliver training they want their problems fixed mm-hmm. <laughs> they want That's the thing right. to go away they want the thing to go away in the in the quickest cheapest most effective way mm-hmm. and so if but you obviously you have to be able to demonstrate that you've understood the problem demonstrate that you understand what good looks like instead demonstrate you understand the um the kind of the whether it's commercials it's time the the cost mm. the cost implications of the different options and that's and how you sell an alternative in and that's just kind of influencing right yeah and that yeah you, and what you just described is how to bring stakeholders with you in general isn't it you need to determine yeah. at the outset whether they really want training or they really want your help uh, and uh, that, that CFA might just want some training. And what you do is you, you apply as little time and attention as you possibly can because you know that it's probably not going to work. But if they want your help, then, yeah, you take what they've said. You uh, you, you seek to understand the uh, the problem. You seek to understand and isolate the uh, the target group as quickly and efficiently as possible because if they've mm-hmm. received one bad email or maybe two, it could be the same person, it could be the same group. And that's really, really simple. Uh, but what you don't do is just absorb that and then think, well, you, you've understand, you've understood the uh um the uh the premise of the D team we deliver stuff uh because yeah. yeah we'll be we'll be in the position that we've been for a, for a long time um which is delivering stuff and not knowing whether we've we've actually delivered any value uh, as a result of that yeah and you know measure when you're measuring impacts so when you're looking at that backlog and you're pulling things through and things are coming to the front of the to-do list and mm. um, because they're, there's impact or um you know we're solving the bigger problem actually one of the ways you might measure impact might not just be if it solves the problem mm. but also if it supports you influencing those stakeholders that you would like to get on board so mm. kind of doing something that changes um somebody's mindset or, or shows them something different that's high impact mm. um it's just it's in a different way because you're you know, don't forget L&D problems are also business problems, right? So if it's a problem you're having with influencing people around um, what performance looks like or how we tackle performance problems or how we set performance expectations, that's a business issue. Mm. So, you know, we don't need to deprioritize our challenges if they are a, having a, a business impact that's negative. Mm. Now, Emery, uh, excuse me, playing devil's advocate so imagine i'm listening to this for the first time and i don't i don't really get what you're talking about well i get it at some level i get um, but but you're talking about um uh having challenging conversations with stakeholders um doing more analysis than perhaps i would normally do if i was developing a program and you've even told me i might not even be developing a program at all (laughs) this could seem too time consuming and complicated for me to get and to sell to, to stakeholders have i interpreted this wrong is it not too time consuming? Am I going to be able to get all of this done um, and uh, and um, uh, within my working day? 
Right. So, uh, yes and no. So <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, think um, I would, right, it's a lot more work up front. Mm. Okay. So, of course, you're changing mindsets. You are um, really understanding problems or challenges or blockers or barriers. We're, you know, we're really understanding what good looks like. So there's, there's loads of work up front in really understanding the problem. But then, because you've done that, the solution becomes obvious. Mm-hmm. It's really quick and easy to deliver. You're going kind of on this, um, let's release a little bit of something that we think is going to help and then check in again. So um, it, you're not wasting time. Mm. What, there's a, what's that saying? Like it, it might be Einstein or someone. If I had an hour to spend on a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes on the problem and then five minutes on the solution, solution or something yeah. like that. But it, it, it's, that, it's that. It's So um, there is more work up front because mm. you are there's the analysis there's the data gathering and of course let's not pretend that that data available to us in L&D is always brilliant or mm. readily available or tells a great story um so there's there's definitely work to do around that but this is where this cut this came for me the more I did it so you start to refine this practice and you start to know where to go for the data you start to know and you start obviously you build data and evidence as you go so things mm. that you had as evidence for something else also comes into play with this because again you know you're, you're drawing links but so you, it will feel more time consuming you will feel like you're maybe not putting so much out as you know straight away but uh, my absolute counter argument to that would be it will speed up exponentially the bit that comes after the analysis bit the design mm-hmm. delivery if that's where you, you might not even design or deliver something like you say but that bit will happen a lot quicker because what needs to happen will be really on board much more likely to be obvious um and you know the other thing that i would <laughs> say is I, I don't really know that the old way was that efficient or effective anyway so yeah. we say it's quicker but quicker to to what yeah you know what we know is here we because we've got a we've got a measure of what happened before we know what good looks like we're going to try putting a thing in that closes the gap between the two and then we're going to check back in and see if we're any closer to what good looks like yeah this this can happen really quite quickly um you know and in my experience most feedback goes at least you've you know even if it's not wholly solved my problem i Mm. really value and appreciate the fact that you've helped me identify the problem you've gone some way to solving it and so we are a bit closer And, and and what are we talking in terms of uh, timescales? You know, if if I came to you uh, uh, with a training request and you fulfilled said training request, say, for a management development program for the entire company across all geographies, we're talking months, aren't we? You know, we, we, we might easily. be talking bleeding into years. By the time yeah. we scheduled this and, we, and everybody's attended as well, we're easily talking years. Um, so, so with a product approach, and you know, I'm not going to hold you to uh, to to uh, to a number of days, but but how does it compare to getting something in the hands of of the people who need it to start testing, so you can iterate and it actually moving the needle? Well, your first, um, obviously, it depends on capacity and all those sorts of things. But if you were able to, if something was really important high impact, high value, solves a real business problem and you could divert resource to it. I mean, you can have something turned around in a matter of a couple of days. Yeah. Um, you know, because, or even, I mean, even less <laughs> because, mm. you know, again, the work is in the analysis, the understanding and making sure that you've, you've really got to grips with the problem and, and where things need to be instead. Once you've got that, it might just be one 
article. It might be one checklist. It mm. might be one Q&A. It might be one low-key, non-slick piece to camera on a smartphone from someone setting some, you know, with a, a little update on there. Um, mm. it, 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 the, the, you don't have to be able to solve all of the problem or problems in order to have some sort of an impact, positive mm. impact. Um, you know, I guess I think kind of milestones or stepping stones, you know, you might, there might be a bigger problem at play, but how do you break that down into a series of smaller steps that you can tackle bite size, prioritize, and, and then once you've got one out there, because the other thing is um, not assuming that if you tackle one problem, actually, well, well, you can assume that sometimes when you tackle one problem, if you solve one problem, actually a couple of others disappear as well. Yeah. So if you if you pull out the most important thing, you prioritize the most important thing, kind of really get your attention on that, do something there. Actually, all those other things that you thought you're going to have to spend the next few months working on either disappear altogether or settle down to a level that they're no longer the highest um, priority piece of work for you. Mm. And you can divert your resource and attention somewhere else that, that is higher priority. Because something that's high priority now might not stay there. Yeah. But as you say, you know, if you're if you work iteratively to try to make a, a demonstrable difference, say, you know, we, we use the example of uh, management development, you recognize that there is a risk. You've highlighted that there is a risk that people that you're promoting within the uh, six months of being a manager, they're going off sick or they're losing talented people or uh, they are not as productive as is expected within their team. So there is data. There is an actual reason in your organization why that requires your attention. Uh, so so, so objective data plus evidence, which is mm-hmm. going to those people who are experiencing that to find out what it is that they're trying to do, and what they're not able to do easily or efficiently, and then looking to plug that gap. As you said, you could do that in days. Once you know what the problem is, you could be laser focused on solving that and then using digital resources to scale that really quickly and then test it across different geographies or across different departments to see whether you can move the needle and then engage in a conversation with them about what else do you need to make that thing that you're not able to do or is having such a negative impact either disappear or or more attainable. Again, so different from we've created this two-day flagship program and guess what emery in 18 months you will have your place on there too and it will solve- <laughs> well and the thing that comes to mind there right is you know i don't know so say if you were doing this leadership program one of your first modules might be around um well what an option could be managing conflict in your yeah. team and then another one might be recruitment right what we might come to realize is that if we solve the managing conflict in the team problem we might mm. not have such an issue with needing recruitment yeah. Um, you know, that, so it's an example of where, you know, you look, here's all the different modules you could have in a leadership thing. What, do, what are we seeing? What are the people in that team that we put, you know, what are our people telling us are the biggest challenges? Or for example, you know, we've got a, we've got an issue with feedback. People don't give it, receive it. People don't feel safe to do it. You know, this could be a bit of a trust issue. It could be a psychological safety issue. Don't know. Either way, People aren't giving and receiving feedback. Let's look into that because that's a problem. That's going to hinder our innovation, our creativity. It's going to hinder people's belonging at work. It's going to hinder um, all sorts of things. You know, and like I say, another module could be um, managing absence, and another module could be recruiting people into your team. Well, if you can solve the real first foundational problem that's mm. potentially creating all these knock-on effects you might not need that or you might yeah. do 
but again you know recruitment's one it's much better delivered at, at the point of need like yeah. so when you're recruiting don't we, let's all stick everybody on recruitment training and then i but i i hire people what like three times a month and some like the other person on the program hires once every two years mm. you know it, it's just a, whereas if you had a available if you had some sort of resource that was available at the point of need uh, when someone ha- hands their notice in in your team you need to um, replace them or you need to think about whether you need to replace them. Go straight to something that's there, that performance support for you at the time you need it, right in that flow. You know where to go for this thing. So you're not, you know, again, L&D aren't creating an extra job for themselves that is mm. um, desperately trying to drive traffic to this big kind of vat of stuff mm. that's there that's a nightmare to navigate because nobody knows how to find anything you know it, it's pushing it to people oh someone's resigned in your team you might be thinking about your structure your resource going forward before you're even really thinking about recruitment what are this what's the capability what's the skills what does good mm. look like in the future and how will you use this as a pivot point to maybe um kind of rethink structure or capability in the team you know rather than just um, assuming you're just going to kind of direct replace the person that's leaving Mm. is this an opportunity for something else but just helping people unlock like thinking again you know people might assume i've got to just recruit a backfill maybe not yeah can you reallocate work is this an opportunity to kind of think about things differently but you know again it's i think we it's likely but risky when you plan a 12-month program please tell me what evidence you've got yeah if you've got a crystal ball fabulous please kind of borrow it but how do you know now what the problems are going to be in 12 Mm. months time how do you know now um you know what you're going to what exactly what someone's going to need to be delivering or or working on in 12 months time that makes you know that this particular piece of training is the thing that's going to solve their problems Mm. so there's no you know you're not building for scale and flex and the other thing that you're not building for is what about movement? So what about yeah. if you get new people into a team and or you've got a newly promoted manager who's never done it before, didn't report necessarily into a great manager, so their role models for knowing how to do this aren't brilliant. Mm. And, um, well, it's okay, the next version of this program doesn't start for another 11 months because you just missed the last one. Um, yeah. No good. No, it's no good. As you said earlier on, uh, you need to focus on the transitions if you're going to affect... Um, how people are performing otherwise we're we're stuck with the same problems that L&D's had for many years if not decades which is people don't want to engage and the reason they don't want to engage in L&D is because it's not the right stuff or not the right time it's not helping them enough and you know coming in bringing it back to this product way of working this this kind of backlog this um, analysis this these antenna Mm. that you have to have out into the organization all the time you know that my uh, kind of mindset again you know i talked about detangling this but you know the probably the thing that sits at the heart of this for me is i am looking to affect individual team and business performance mm. right those, those are the things that um that i'm kind of going after i don't see my job in learning and development as um, a responsibility to deliver certain things i mean i mean it is in some respect but it, it's not about the input it's mm. about the outcome you're generating and i think a product way of working refocuses you on this it's like actually what's what's really going it takes you out of your assumptions your kind of ways of working your expectations your ingrained habits and puts you in the the shoes of the user Mm. and says what's actually going on for the people 
on the receiving end of this. And this happens, you know, this is not new stuff, right? Mm. No supermarket stocks only the items that the CEO of that business wants to buy. It does the research, it knows what products sell, it knows yeah. what people want to buy, and it's products and services, right? You know, we know you can buy insurance at Tesco's Till or whatever now. Mm. You know, it's it, it it's like all those things that are you know it this is research getting to know your audience getting to know your customer what's mm. on their mind and you know so the, going back to that team individual organization the customer might be an individual it might be a team or a department it could be a whole organization mm. but you know you need to need to know what that what that is and products will help you keep that focus mm. and it will keep that gives the clarity this backlog um this user centricity, this data focus gives you the clarity over that backlog to understand what are the first things you should be putting first. Mm. Now, as we, we look to wrap up, uh, Anne-Marie, uh, I'm going to address the, one of the elephants in the room here. Um, yeah. I'm, sure that, I'm sure this is more than one elephant that we've, uh, that we've had in this conversation. <laughs> the elephant is nobody's asking for a product approach in L&D within any given organisation, but they may be asking for actual change. For something to happen, um, some uh, some actual change in the way that uh, that work is done, actual results in the uh, the outcomes of uh, of the way that work is done, uh, or or a demonstration that the investment in learning and development is actually equating to a desired outcome at all. Which again, these are deficiencies in so much of established learning and development practice. So, how would you recommend the listener start off? Um, perhaps exploring product or uh, or experimenting with that with this approach in uh, in their practice and their teams yeah um okay we're um, starting right the thing that we keep coming back to is this concept of outcomes this concept of performance this mm. it's not about the input it's about the outcome and so mm. i think you have to you have to understand that you have to know you know so kind of really building those um those capabilities around asking good questions understanding business because this is foundational stuff that applies almost irrespective of the problem that that presents itself because mm. you know you've got to know what as an organization the priorities are what the challenges are what the business level um kind of data is telling us so definitely spend some time there um i think just one of the things that i think can trip people up and it did me i think we got a bit hung up on this in the early days is being a real purist to this mm. and the language you know you've kind of got stand-ups and retros and um sprints and and then of course when you start building out further and you know we're in the world of agile or, or the scrum and kanban and all these kinds of things maybe just spend a little bit of time just soaking it up familiarizing yourself so that you know you're not you know that you've just got a, a foundational understanding of what this looks like and i think then kind of turn to thinking about your personal and your if you've got a team at the l and um skill set and toolkit because you know if if this takes off you're going to need to be ready mm. um the other i would really encourage anyone who's looking to explore this to really um consider why they're looking to explore it and why it's important and and why you're doing it because if you do get challenged or if someone says why well, hang on wait a minute where's my training mm. you, you that could derail you or kind of knock your confidence really with it because you might think well no obviously this makes total sense i'm off and then the second someone goes wait what what well, hang on I, I, was, I was expecting a training course or yeah. why are you asking me these questions about what evidence well, you, you know be careful with the questioning but um why are you asking me these questions 
that you need an answer for that mm. and and one that is robust for you so you feel confident and comfortable going into these com- conversations but also one that will resonate with your audience yeah and if that's about you know, depending on the purpose of the organisation, if that's one about if that's about finance, if that's about p- the purpose, the mission, the vision, whatever it is. But um, yeah, just I think kind of do that um, that exploration with yourself mm. around why you're doing it, so that if you do bump into challenge, you know, because it's a balance, isn't it, between listening to feedback and iterating your model. Because I think the nature of products is that you want to also iterate how you're doing it. Mm. Um. But also staying, sort of sticking with it long enough to know whether you've you're you're, you're seeing um, measurable impact and yeah. value, and you're really shifting something. So, hmm. yeah, wonderful. Uh, and uh, and you know, a point that uh, that uh, that what you said leads me to as well is that uh, I I hear so many or read so many in L and D asking the question, "What is L and D for?" Um, and I always think your organisation determines that. You can expand mm-hmm. their view, but what products? Uh, will help you to do unless it's very administrative and it's just about delivering stuff and in that case it really doesn't matter but if your organization requires you to actually help with stuff then product can help you to uh, refine uh, or to understand fully what the implications of that is and actually lead towards a demonstrable outcome to show to your organization your investment in us has equated to these results and i think that product as an approach um, that means that you can more predictably and reliably achieve those outcomes than anything that I've seen in established practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my experience. And, you know, I think we'll go right back to the beginning. I was not a product expert. I'm still not a product expert, but would I go back? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm the work I'm doing now is a little bit different, but I still, you know, I still take this approach. I always, you know, I want the data, I want the evidence, I want to know the story up front and I want to know where, you know, what good looks like, where I'm trying to get to, because Mm. that's what helps me make just good decisions about how I get there. Yeah, and and I'd say that that's where we And check in, regularly check in and regularly iterate. That's all, little and often, just think, keep going around the loop. It's not one massive circle, it's loads of little ones. Yeah, brilliant. I think wise, wise, wise words, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much for uh, for, for sharing your insights, uh, Anne-Marie. It's been a pleasure to have you back on. And so thank you very much for being a guest again on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. You can tell from this conversation that I'm a huge advocate of product management and product managers in L&D due to their focus and ability to achieve real value and meaningful results and being able to demonstrate these as a result. In short, Addressing so many of the limitations of established L&D practice, I predict we'll be seeing many more product managers in our profession in the not too distant future. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn for which you'll find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now. <laughs> <laughs>